Hey, 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 this is another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Matty Matt, along with Todd Fox and Big Renee. And we're here once again with another episode on this Wednesday, March 19th. This is a crazy day. Corona Wednesday. Corona Wednesday. I'm sorry, it's the 18th. I got my days mixed up. <laughs> but anyways, it doesn't matter because we talk about true crimes. And on this episode... We got a good one, but before we get into that, let's let you guys know where you can find us. You can find us on our Spotify account. Just look us up under the Grinding True Crime uh, page, (laughs) Mm -hmm. or you can find us on Podbean. Just look us up under Grinding True Crime, and we'll also put our stuff on our website, uh, www.thegrindpodcast.com. Yes, sir. Now, if you guys don't know about this podcast tell you briefly we talk about true crimes our narrator here todd fox is the mastermind of it all he tells us the stories of crimes that's happened in the past sometimes that's happened in this decade but no matter when the crime take place our guy will break it down and he breaks it down very well and today's episode he said to me earlier today that this one is going to be deep and i said how deep he said really deep 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 that's what she said. That's what she said. <laughs> so I'm interested to find out. Renee, you're interested? Yes, I am. I think everybody else is interested. So, Todd, take it away. All right. So this case, I just want to put a disclaimer out there real quick. This has uh, crimes against kids. So we're going to um, put the disclaimer out there. If you can't handle stuff like that, you might want to change this one. Uh-oh. Um, plus, this has lots of twists and turns, dude. Very, <clears throat> very much so. So paying attention to is this. Is it going to get me mad? Yes. Ah. Yes, this one. <laughs> this is guaranteed to make you Dang guys. It, I'm ready. Because this is, Ren, this <laughs> is Renee's t- first time listening to this, and so was Maddie. And yeah. Obviously, this is a case going back uh, that I heard about a lot in the 80s. Um, oh, this is the 80s. This, is, this primarily takes place. Well, it, it takes place from the 70s to the 90s, basically. So, but, but this is something that I heard about growing up in the 80s. Got it. So, yeah. Because it was a lot of that whole stranger danger type stuff. You know what I mean? Got you, got you. <clears throat> yep. So this is this has to do with the, this case will be called the Stainers. The Stainers? Yeah, the, Stainers. like the Steiners. Like yeah, like it's, a band. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's not a, it's not a tag team <laughs> or, or a band. Um, this is uh, the Stainers. S T A Y N E R. You already family. got an interesting name with the Stainers. That yeah, already yeah. tells me a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of blood. Yeah, there is. <laughs> okay, particularly we're going to uh, focus in on Stephen Gregory Stainer, who was born on April 18th, 1965 in Merced, California, which is in Northern California. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know exactly where that's at. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> um, to the parents of Delbert Stainer, father, and the mother, Kay Stainer. He also had a brother, Carrie Stainer, C-A-R-Y, mm-hmm. and two sisters, Cynthia and Corey. So a total of four kids? Four kids, yeah. Both parents? Okay. The All family right. would do a lot of things together. They were like a really devout Christian family. Uh, they they would go, uh, they had a tradition of going to Yosemite Park about a couple times a year. So they're about middle class? Uh, yeah, you would say that. Okay. All right. It's Merced's a nice area, a small town type feel. Okay. So they moved and they went up to Yosemite Park a lot, did a lot of camping, did a lot of things with the kids. All so right. the kids were in touch with nature and things like that. And But they were very strict on their kids. <clears throat> so anytime. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And at this time, too, back then, this is in the, um, you know, Stephen, this is about 1972. 
and he got in trouble a couple days before for walking to school or walking home from school by himself. Mm. So he did not go home with his friend like he usually would. So his dad whooped him or whatever like that. And he got whooped for that? Yeah. Dang. For not being responsible because keep in mind, in, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, primarily 70s and 80s, there was so much kidnapping and so many... Uh, serial killers. That's true. That's true. Okay. And remember, this this is a time period in that where they started the whole milk carton deal too, where kids oh, were. I mean, literally, if you saw a kid on a milk carton, you're like, well, that kid's dead. Yep. You know, I mean, for most, most but I'd say about ninety percent of those kids that went on the milk cartons never came home, or they were. Or a small percentage of it. Yeah. yeah. Or they, and if they did, they came home because they ran away. You know, and they, they got wanted, away. Yeah, yeah, and they came back later on, but. Um, okay, so he got a butt whooping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. He was a very active little kid at the time. He he went out and he would do things that kids would do at the, at that normal age. Play mm-hmm. with GI Joe action figures. Oh yeah. Stay out till the lights went out at night. Oh yeah. So. <clears throat> so another, <laughs> yeah, GI Joe. <laughs> but another thing to pick up on this story is whenever I announce a date, that means something happened. So yeah, I know. <laughs> I noticed that about you, man. No, so, so what's today? What what date are you gonna announce right now? <laughs> We're going to talk about one date in particular. It's December 4th, 1972. Okay. While walking home, he once again breaks the rules. He's walking home by himself. A gentleman pulled up next to Stephen in his car. One guy got out of the car asking, uh, just, he asked him a, a, a question, you know, to the kids saying, you know, um, do you believe in God? And Stephen said, yes. And... The, the man said, well, here's a pamphlet I'd like to give you. Sounds familiar? So, yeah. Sounds very familiar. So, so, so here's, a, here's a pamphlet I'd like to give you and, you know, your family. And then, and then uh, he goes, well, you know, I live just down the street. You know, he goes, is your family home? He says, yeah, they're home. He goes, okay. And then, and then the driver <clears throat> gets out of a balding man in about in his uh, 30s or 40s, comes over and he says, well, I'm Reverend... Um, I'm Reverend, uh, what's his last name? Parnell. And he goes, uh, he goes, I would like to meet your family. He goes, if you get in the car, we could just ride down there and we could talk to him. Oh, bad mistake. So That's his first mistake. <clears throat> Dang. He then gets into the car. With, and now the guy who, who, uh, who picked him up uh, was, uh, what was his name? Erwin. Ir- Erwin Edward Murphy. So he says, okay, yeah, come into the car. They get in the car. They drive down the street. Now, he knows what his house looks like. You know, that he knows. So he doesn't really know. You know, he knows everything by sight, yeah, not, yeah. By, not by well, what the street name is yeah, 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 or the address. Mm-hmm. But he does notice that he passed his house, and they keep driving. And so he Carrie starts to – or not Carrie, I'm sorry. Steven starts to say, hey, what's what's going on? How come you guys passed my house? And and he's asking him, I should be going home. My, my mom's going to want me home. Oh, you know, we'll get there. We're just, we're just going – and they start making excuses, you know, and they start driving – so basically, uh, they get in the car, and here's the thing with Ed, with uh, Irwin and this Parnell figure. Parnell and him used to do work together, mm-hmm. and they needed and 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 uh, Irwin needed money, so Parnell asked him straight up. He goes like, "I want to adopt a kid. I want, and you can help me by helping me kidnap a kid." Wow. I don't, I don't know what's that, in in wow. his in his mindset, but Irwin's like. Okay. <laughs> like, now Parnell's the reverend, right? Yeah, Parnell's the reverend guy. And so Murphy's so, just his Mur- buddy. Murphy's a guy that's just around hanging out with him. Wow. Does work, yeah. And everyone's like, okay. So, that's, 
Jeez. Either you got a really good friend or just one stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Pretty much, pretty much. So he says, you know what? <clears throat> I ha- We have some time. I don't have to take you home right now. I've got the, you know, what's your favorite toy? I've got toys galore, blah, blah, blah. Tells him, right? So Steven's in his mind still thinking, but he's seven years old. Yeah. Okay. So he goes along with it. And because what other, I mean, a seven year old yeah, being off. You're thinking, okay, he's still going to return me home. He's, you know, he's grown up in a a church, so he knows reverends are supposed to be good guys. Yeah. Yeah. So he trusts him. So they go to the reverend's house. The reverend, uh, well, he's not really a reverend. He's just playing one. Yeah. So he lets him play with his toys and everything else like that. And then as, you know, Irwin sits down to crack open a beer, watch some TV, he, he watches Parnell, the reverend guy take the little boy into the room by himself and he starts hearing things and he knows what's going on Irwin is getting frustrated he comes out and uh, he goes you know what I can't I didn't sign up for this if you wanted a kid you got a kid but why are you going to do that and still in Irwin's mind I'm like I'm thinking why you know you, you kid you helped kidnap this yeah. kid like what are you thinking he's going to do with a yeah. kid he's not going to keep him and say you're my son you're my son However, Parnell says, you know what? You're just as me- messed up in this as me. And and he goes, well, I know what you're doing with that kid. And he says, Parnell says, well, if you go to the cops, I'm going to out you as the one that actually kidnapped the kid. So Irwin just, for whatever reason, shut down. Actions became less and less as time went on. But that very night, wow. that very night, poor Stephen Stainer was molested for the first time. Wow. Yeah. So, so yeah, so later that evening, as he's spending his first night in captivity at Parnell's house, uh, the parents are realizing it's seven, eight o'clock, nine o'clock. My boy's not home. The parents are freaking out. The family's freaking out. They call the grandfather. At first, they accuse the grandfather of taking the kid. Mm-hmm. And the grandfather, which is this is one of the, just the first small part of this story being messed up other than the kid being kidnapped and molested grandfather lives get this three houses down from where parnell lives wow yeah they're that close they're that close ironic man they have no idea what's going on so the boy is still alive at this time yes okay all right just want to make sure yeah yeah so they're checking us out the cops they call the cops the cops don't want to, of course, do what they usually do and say, you got to wait 24 hours, blah, blah. He's seven years old. Yeah, Come on. Yeah, you got to break the rules on some case. If he's 13 to 17, I get it. They're teenagers. They have their own free will. They, they, they know kind of how it is on the outside a little bit. They can hold their own. Yeah. But when you're under 10 years old, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that one. <clears throat> 100. So the cops finally start getting involved later at night, early in the morning, kind of. They're looking for him. They're even printing up posters. The cops automatically go after the parents. They start saying, well, you know what? You hit, you admitted to hitting your kid. You probably pissed him off. What if you hurt him and you just don't want to tell us? What if you're hiding something? So they put these poor parents through a polygraph. Wow. Then some family members start accusing other family members, including the grandpa, saying that the grandpa could have done something. Yeah. And the grandpa's like, I was home the whole time. He has to go through a polygraph. Wow. They all pass, of course. 
And this whole time, just they're wasting time when they could have been out there looking for poor Stainer. Family's still, you know, upset. They're still trying to look for him. He actually makes a... What is it? Let me go to my notes here. Um, they actually have little uh, things in the uh, newspaper. They're having prayer vig vigils. Uh, the, the police are, you know, they put up a, a missing poster the day later right on the telephone pole adjacent to Parnell's house. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? I got a GTFO out of here. Yep. So he basically... <sighs> He basically uproots him and leaves. The boy. He takes no, the boy. he takes the boy with him. Wow, okay. Now, here's the thing that I, I, I that bothers me to this day. Irwin never opened his mouth up until this was all said and done. He could have opened up and said, with Parnell gone, he could have just tried to be the hero yeah. in some way. You take your medicine, yes. You were part of it, yes. But you could have saved that boy. Didn't. Didn't say anything. Just kept to himself. Ignored all the posters and everything else like that. Parnell takes out wow. takes off in the middle of that night, when when uh, they're trying when poor little Stainer boy Stephen is asking, "What about my parents? I want to go home." He's freaking out, not liking the way he's being molested and things like that. Parnell tells him, "Look, I gotta tell you the truth. You were donated to the church and to myself. I'm gonna look after you. Your parents aren't in a good way right now. They have too many mouths to feed. They can't afford you." You know, you're the littlest one. You, We can't, you know, they can't afford you. You know, I have to help them out, and you're in my custody now. You know what? At seven years old, and like you said, being that he was raised in the church, whatever, mm -hmm. and he sees that he's a reverend, he was told, well, he was told, at seven years old, I can understand how he could just be like, okay, like going along with everything is and not questioning certain things. Yeah. That could probably twist his mind a little bit. Yeah. Especially at that age. Gullible. Yeah. More Especially than, at that age. Yeah, oh no, absolutely. You guys are both right. Gullible and at that age, I mean, basically he gave him a new name. He told him that his name is Dennis Parnell. So no wow. longer Steven Stainer. Wow. Yeah. So he got him he, he got him uh, to change into that name. And then about just 12 days later, he began to rape the poor little boy. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So at this time, Stephen just wow. They wind up moving <clears throat> in the next few months four times, different areas. Now, when he finally realizes that Dennis, who was Stephen, is actually changed and gotten on board with everything, he's gotten on board with everything. Like he he believes that this is the way because he's pounded it into him every day. This is how it is. This is how it is. This, yeah. You're my son. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Whatever he told him, Stephen's going along with it, a.k.a. Dennis. To the point where later in the year, he enrolls him in school under that name. What? That's crazy, man. Yo, this guy, yeah. <laughs> and Stephen would adopt the name Dennis and carry on with a story that he was told. Wow. Without mentioning his former parents, just mentioning that even coming in for school, parent-teacher conferences this dude this pedophile came in and would announce himself as his father and no one blinked an eye do you think he do you think steven 
had a resentment toward his parents believing that the story that the reverend said him, that they just gave him away so you know what screw it you're getting a little ahead of yourself okay all right but, all right. but, <laughs> but, but he did at that point was all in so like you know how you like you, you push in all your money and you're like okay yeah. i'm all in he's all in all right so at that age so so fast forward a little bit you know he's turning eight he's turning nine they're moving still so years have passed a couple years have passed okay the parents right. at this point believe he's gone I mean, and, you know, they do believe that they're never going to see him again. The police are telling him, look, if we do find him, most likely it's going to be a body. And, you know, his his brother is struggling with this because, you know, he goes to school and they're like, oh, you're they don't know him as Carrie anymore. They know him as, oh, you're the brother of the kidnapped kid or the, the kid that disappeared. Yeah. So he's getting, you know, getting a, all kinds of crap from, you yeah, know, heckled at school and from mm-hmm. school. <clears throat> his sisters go through the same thing. And, and Carrie seems to lash out a lot, though. He starts to, like, just, like, do a little self-mutilation, like, cutting himself a little bit. Because he's the older brother, you know. Yeah, so yeah, he's, yeah. like, a, three years older. And um, he's just frustrated. And no one's paying him attention. They're, like, watching the girls like hawks, obviously. But they don't pay him any attention. So he's struggling with it as all this is going on. Okay. Um, Parnell just keeps, keeps doing things to him. And um, over time, you know, he's more and more brainwashed to where the point where he's about like 10, 11 years old and four years has passed. Four years have passed. This God, point. okay. Parnell's right. allowing him now to drink beer what? and smoke cigarettes. Wow. At that age? At that age, Damn. yeah. <clears throat> As he plays, Parnell's letting him play outside, play with his friends hang out you're about what fifth sixth grade at this point yeah, yeah 11 years old yeah yeah 11 about 12 years grade. old something like it was around that age he starts bringing some of his friends home to hang out and everything because parnell's like, hey, yeah, bring your friends over mm. he starts touching up on them and p- making passes on them too his, on, fr- on the, his friends reverend. yeah 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 and this is where like again you would think one of these moments he's going to get busted you would think at one of these times this kid's gonna. Oh, this guy's gonna get his comeuppance. He's gonna do something. It, it takes a while. He's gonna get yeah. sloppy. Yeah, yeah. It. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You're right. He's gonna to get sloppy. So finally, one of these kids gets the nerve to tell his mom, like, "Hey, this guy touched me in an appropriate way and wanted to do something with me, and I had to like break free." And the mom <clears throat> goes and tells the cops. The cops go and interview him. Take a look at the boy. Take a look at, at you know how how Stainer is. They know that he smokes. He's got a bit of a reputation in school, and they say, you know what, that Reverend Parnell guy. He's a good guy. You know, he's just getting a bad rap. You know, these kids, they're they're taking his love for them as <laughs> as little boys, and as genuine human beings. Their love, you know, you know maybe he maybe it's just hugs, and the the kids are just a little. Tell me, man. Don't tell me the cops dropped the ball. Oh, they dropped more than the ball, dude. Come they they look the other way. Seriously? They look wow. the other way. So the mom's testi- testification, if that's a word, and <laughs> and, and, and the boys. Testimony. Testimony. There you go. T- testification. testification. <laughs> Making up words. This, huh? damn, this damn corona's got me flipping, man. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they took, took it with a grain of salt and were like, no, nah, the reverend could never do that. Because remember, this is before... When the clergy would bury stuff like this, yeah, yeah, when yeah. when the cops would look the other way, when the mayors, when the, when they got these special privileges, do that today, 
you might as well crucify the priest on the altar. Now, let me ask a question. I, I'm going back a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm going back. Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure. People actually know this is a reverend. Like, he he he, he conducts a church, no, right? Not whatsoever. Really? He just passes himself off as a... Uh, he actually has a nine-to-five job. So, not only does he have this kid brainwashed to go to school, the kid never breaks the routine never breaks from what he knows up into that point knowing damn well that when he gets home parnell is still not home for two more hours because he works on nine to five wow so parnell had this kid he knew he was getting him home it was almost like it was his wife brainwashed yeah just brainwashed to a t wow he could have left that and you know what i i can't get mad at the kid you can't because he He's he's like Renee said, he's gullible. See, right yeah. now you're mad at him. Yeah. Your feelings will change. But right now you're mad at him because you're and, and you you say, Well, I can't be too mad at him, but you're like, Come on, man, you just wake up one day. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He does it. To the point to where Parnell is messing like like he can't let's see, he can't pass himself off. Too many people are starting to talk a little bit. He's gotta give himself an alibi. He's gotta give himself an alter uh, or alternative like look from other people's standpoints yeah. you know what i mean like yeah, yeah. you don't want to be that guy with a kid you know and then people are accusing you right so he ha he knows he has to go out and get a girlfriend so he gets out he gets a girlfriend brings a you know meets a girl at a bar they start rapping or whatever like this <sighs> this is another part that's going to make you upset uh oh he starts bringing steven into the bedroom with him and, and the woman at 12 years old the reverend what? Is bringing the twelve-year-old inside the bedroom with his new girlfriend. Yeah, and the girlfriend is completely good with it. That's She's gross. just as dumb. Okay. Just as dumb as he is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're they're basically having threesomes with the twelve-year-old. With the twelve-year-old. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Not so much you can say on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And she's going along with it. She has no problems. Wow. <laughs> Probably paid her off. Wow. No, there's no, there's no pain. This isn't a prostitute. Oh, now, this is a, a willing participant. Now, let's be real. Mm -hmm. We're all men here. Mm -hmm. At 12 years old, if you were to score a grown woman, like on the South Park episode, <laughs> it's like nice. It's like nice. <laughs> but in this situation, it's like, this is whoa, real life, man. like what the heck? Yeah, yeah, it's real life. Like he yeah. said, and then, and then not only that, you're not, you're not there. Like like Parnell's not there saying, hey, you know, I want you to sleep with my girlfriend. No, he's going to sleep with you and the girlfriend, and you're going to be whatever they tell you to do. You know what I'm saying? So he's some, some kind of dictator or some, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And keep in mind, he's still smoking and drinking. Okay. A lot during the day to where some of the parents are getting kind of upset because they're hearing things that, you know, this little boy that they let their boys play with is smoking and drinking all day. So his classmates know that. Yeah, they know he's up that to that stuff, but they don't know about the other stuff. Yeah, as that stuff continues, uh, Parnell is just loving it because everything he's doing seems to be working. No repercussions, nothing. Wow. They Now, let's fast forward a little bit more. Now, this is seven years later, nearly eight years. Sorry, like 14, 15? No, he's about, he's about 13 and a half, pushing 14, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, uh, Steven starts to realize, you know what? Um, Kenneth isn't really into me anymore he's not really wanting to have sex with him and do things with him and it's sort of just so, like standoffish he starts asking 
Stephen, a.k.a. Dennis, to help him recruit another little boy. And at this point, Stephen's like, finally a light switch goes off in his head and he's like, no, I don't want to do this. To the point where Kenneth starts threatening him, physical violence. Now, they go out a few nights to try to find a kid. And each time, he plays like he's playing along with it, but then messes it up somehow. You know, like he gets out of the car. He's supposed to be the one that's supposed to buffer it for Kenneth to then take him in the Kinda car. like the first guy. Yeah, just to do the same thing. But he screws it up every time. Like, he'll say something to the kid, like, run, or something like that, to where he scares him off every time. So this pisses off, you know, Parnell. He's like, damn it, you know, like, like... This this shouldn't this shouldn't be happening, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, partner, got to give the kid props on that one. Yeah, yeah, because he at this point he's starting to get it. Like this is not cool. Yeah, this is not cool. Um, so one of those other times, there's another guy that he gets to go along with him again. Another guy, not Irwin, another guy, because he's not having any success with Stephen. And it's on Valentine's Day of that year that he comes home with this little boy that they found a five-year-old boy named timothy and they they lured him in the car they gave him juice laced with sleeping pills dang they bring him inside the house and as he's they're carrying him in uh steven's like oh god you got to be kidding me you know he has that look like deer in the headlights like my worst fears you know they brought another boy home and basically the first thing kenneth says is hey happy valentine's day you got a brother. And <clears throat> from that moment on, Steven said his whole mindset changed. Just everything in his mind, he's like, you know what? This isn't going to happen again. I'm going to do everything I can to stop this. So a couple days go by, and it's not stated or not known that I know of on the research that I looked at if Timothy was molested in that period of time. But basically... I know that he was watching him to see how Steven would react. Steven played the game as he would normally do just so that he could try to try to get confidence for Parnell to go back to work so that maybe he could spring him loose. So I'll get to another date right here, which I think it's so days. So days has went by with this new kid, right? Yes. Okay. All right. So, <clears throat> I think it was like three three or four days later. Three or four days? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I didn't mention earlier that Parnell had told Stainer over the years that his dad had died, his mom had moved away, and the other kids went to foster care. Mm-hmm. He couldn't contact them. Mm-hmm. Stainer was still believing all that. Yeah. So, he had that in the back of his mind. He, so, he couldn't call anybody. He figured he didn't know anybody to call to trust. So, one day, they waited about two hours because he kept... You know, Parnell kept saying, oh, you know what? I'll, I'm going to go to work, but I, I could be back. And he kept leaving, and he, and he would actually go to work, come back real quick to check on them, and then go back to work. Wow. Just try to, try to, like, make sure that, you know, he's not going to bolt. Yeah. So, but one day they said, screw it. And he took Timothy. He's like, I'm not going to let this happen. And at this time, they were in Ukiah, California. Wow, my brother lived there. Yeah, they were in Ukiah. And it's a small town, as you yep. know. I've been there. So they walked from one of the cabins i guess they lived in mm-hmm. and he took timothy and he said he was so like uh what's that called paranoid every car seemed to look like parnell's car so they they would be walking down the road and then they would jump into bushes real quick hiding because they didn't know if that was him or not yeah they kept freaking out so it took him about a good hour or two to get into 
the the city. Wow. They get into the city and they find the and he's trying to figure out what to do, who to contact. And then he's like, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna walk. And by this time, it's nightfall. He points Timothy into the police station, and Timothy walks into the police station. A cop just happens to be looking over the desk and sees a little five year old at the door. The five year old sees him, turns around, starts crying, and runs out. And the cop's like, what the hell? So he follows him out there, and as he follows him out there, he looks over, and the little boy goes and hugs Stainer. And the cop just points his flashlight and is like, hey, what are you guys doing? What, what, what did you do to the boy? And then he goes, this is a missing kid that you guys are looking for. You know, Timothy, I think his name is Chirac or something. And, um, and the cop goes, oh, my God, so you took him? He goes, hands up. And, and, he, and he just puts his hands up, and then, he, and then the, the little boy is telling him he's not a bad guy. He's not a bad guy. And so they bring him in there and they're starting to talk to him. They interrogate him and he goes, what's your name? And this is a famous line that comes up later. And he goes, I think my name is Steven. And so that's how it starts with him because then they're investigating this guy. They get Parnell's name. And then all of a sudden, you know, wait a minute. And the cop does his research and the other cop comes in and says, dude, this is the kid that's been missing for nearly eight years. Almost a decade. Yeah. Yeah, we thought wow. He was dead. So, they recoup two, you know, lost kids in a matter of. Did they contact the Merced uh, County? Yeah. To verify <clears throat> what they do. Well, yeah. Well, they they ran the fingerprints and then they also called and then they figured out who it was. And uh, they they called the parents. The parents wanted to come up ASAP, obviously, because they haven't seen yeah, them. Yeah. And, and and as they're telling, you know, as as they're telling, or they're finding out the story, they tell him, "Hey, we got a hold of your parents." He's like, "What do you mean you got to hold my parents?" He goes, my dad died years ago. He's like, I just got off the phone with him. He's coming up here. He goes, well, they're not separated at least? He's like, no. He goes, your family's worried sick about you. They thought you were dead years ago. And that's when he broke down and started telling the police everything. Started telling them all the stuff that he endured and all the stuff that they were going through. And the cops were sitting there just shocked. Couldn't believe it. I would have been irate if I was one of those cops, man. Yeah. I would have been... Trying to kill the guy right there in the spot, man. Like, where is he? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. So, so keep in mind, this is in you know early 1980 now. So, the police, obviously, this gets out to the media, and this is before social media. But localized police and even people from as far as New York, ABC Studios, everyone flies in there. They want to see him, and all of a sudden now he's a national hero because Stainer's almost you know he's push you know he's pushing uh, I think he's 14. 14 or so and he has Timothy and they have a famous picture of him holding Timothy in his arms mm. or him sitting on his lap you know as a kid that saved another kid and that endured all this crap and the media is just making him a superstar they even make a made for TV movie in the late 80s which is what I saw which is called um, uh, I think my name is Steven mm. the Steven Stainer story they made a movie about it wrote a book about it the media was just all over it all over the family and then they they arrest Parnell you know Parnell's being like ridiculed like what a disgusting filthy piece of trash and, and which they, he is you know and they want to hang yeah. him and everything else like this and 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 uh so so the media just it goes crazy and they and they 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 want to appoint him like you know this you know uh savior to the little boy you know mm-hmm. he gets that moniker when he tries to go back and Stephen tries to go back to adjust, now a five-year-old was was returned to his family. Stephen is quickly out of place. He goes back to a a, a freaking strict house 
Now, granted, they love to have him there, but the family's struggling with the fact that they see him drinking beer. You know, it's beers like water to him. And, wow. And, and, and they're like, who is this? Yeah. And, and he's smoking cigarettes, and the, and the family's like, wait a minute. And so then as time goes by, like at first they're mad at him and it's causing all kinds of problems, but then they're just happy to have him back. They're like, you know what? We'll let him pass. But the other kids, Carrie and the two daughters, are on strict restrictions to not even be close to what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the kids are kind of being like, it's a divided household. So <clears throat> Stephen is still trying to recruit. He's having bad times in high school. Um, you know, he's a couple years go by. Got those uh, memories, man. Yeah, yeah. And so at the same time, you know, like I said, the family's struggling with it. His brother's struggling with it because then as he goes back to school in his neighborhood, the kids are like, oh, you're that gay kid. You know, you, uh. you're you the kid that got in the and you liked it. And back then, like, obviously talking like that now and saying the F word, you know, stuff that we would joke around yeah. with as kids. Yeah. You can't do that now. Yeah. But back then, they were just throwing it around, and teachers would probably be like, hey, you only get three more of those. You know what I mean? <laughs> back then, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah back then. Back so, then, wait. Going back to – so, the parents let him – Yeah, break him wherever you guys want. Yeah, That's the parents I mean. let him continue smoking, drinking beer, and all that stuff. Yeah, they, they, they really couldn't it. stop it. What I'm saying is, I, I, you know, he got used to it for so many years, I know, and then coming back to the uh, strict parent – Christian family. Yeah. But – yeah, I don't know, man. Would you uh, knowing that you know better, even though that's your kid and he went through that, would you still allow it? Um, it's hard to say because I think I could be in the same part of the. As, I can't imagine being away from my kids for a couple of days, and if they were gone for that long, I'd just be happy they're there. Yeah, I would probably try to encourage him not to, and try to maybe take him to AA or whatever, even if he's a kid. Yeah. But, but damn, dude, I mean. I don't think there's not much, not much you could do in that situation, or just not provided for him, you know. Yeah, but then again, he'd probably get it other ways. Yeah, that's you know? what I'm saying. Like yeah. you can get it if you, you know, if you get it on your own, and it's not where I can know. I can't get mad at you, but I'm not going to willingly give you this mm-hmm. stuff. That's what I'm saying. But, but I mean, that's pretty deep. Yeah. So his life began to take many twists and turns. Dealing with all the crap at school, he committed, tried to commit suicide. Thankfully, it didn't happen. Okay. I can see that happen. Yeah, yeah. So he 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 survived, and he he just something clicked. He met a girl, and it was a seventeen year old when he was eighteen, and when he finished high school, and um, they began dating. And sure enough, they wound up getting married. <clears throat> and At his 18? life? No, no, a couple of years oh, later. Okay, okay. So their life began. His life began to go up, but then it was still rocky road because in between, he was working for victim advocacy things and doing mm-hmm. a lot of good in mm-hmm. the community mm-hmm. and working for those kidnapped, you know, and things like that, being a spokesman, but he had his inner demons. He kept drinking and he mm. got busted several times for tickets and for DUIs. Mm. So in the, so in one sense, he's trying to turn his life around. He's trying to be that, that guy, but then he's struggling with his inner demons. Yeah. His past token. Yeah. Coming I mean, back up. He was able to get past the, you know, suicidal thoughts the rapes, all the things that he went through. And at the, and then the, at the same time, you know, when he's, when I forgot to mention when he was 18, Parnell went to, to, uh, to, uh, court. Finally, they dealt with his deal for Timothy. He got six months or six years. Oh, I'm about to say six months. He got six years jail. The statute of limitations back in the seventies screwed things up. 
So his molestations and the stuff that they could prove had already lapsed. So he got kidnapping charges only for Stainer. Wow. Nothing molestation, no nothing. So six years, six years? He did six years and then there was well, there was four years on top of it, but he wound up getting out on good behavior. You don't give somebody like that good getting out on good behavior. <laughs> I'm sorry. Those kind of guys are messed up in the Yeah, head. I'm sorry. So he got out in six years and went on to live his life at this point. So at this point, like we're in the we're in the mid eighties at this point, right? Okay. Stainer goes on to have two beautiful kids, a boy and a girl, and it, and but he's having trouble holding on to jobs. The family's still trying to hold it together. Carrie's having problems. He's in and out, drug rehab, mm. um, you know, holding down jobs. The sisters are getting by. Family's just like, we're just glad we're all together. You know, we're glad that Steven's moving on and doing his thing. Fast forward to 1989. Okay. Um, 1989 he's working he he works at a um uh at a job for what is it uh it was pizza hut okay right so it was a rainy night and he's had a couple duis he works inside the thing the the boss says hey you know what why don't you take the uh the car home you know company vehicle home it's raining i don't want you out on a motorcycle it's a little too um it's a little too dangerous Mm mm-hmm and so he he literally says to him, uh, you know what? I don't I don't need to. I'll take my motorcycle home. You know, okay. He goes, just be careful. Something tells me this is not going to end well. Yeah. Stephen takes his motorcycle home in the rain without a helmet. Yep. Nope. Yeah, it's not going to end well. Nope. Slides out of control, hits a car head on, dies on the scene. Dang. Head trauma landed Dang. on his head. So the story of Steven Stainer ends there. Dang. 1989. That was, my year. That was the year I was born. <laughs> Dang. Yep. And that's where our story picks up. Man. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's not over. Oh. Wait, wait, wait. Seriously? It's not over. Not not by a long shot. It's not over. Oh, oh. Yeah, I thought Dang. it was the end of it. No, this is not it. Okay. It well, there's going. the twist you were mentioning. So, obviously, everyone's super devastated. Yeah. This makes world news because it was a world news story. You know, when ABC used to use the 2020, mm-hmm. they did a 2020 special. And all, all of a sudden, everyone's sad. You know, oh, my God. You know, this kid went through so much. He battled his demons. He went through this. and. Had we helped him out in a certain situation, would he still be alive today? You know, would 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 he still be in the situation? You know, um, or or would he be in a better place? Mm-hmm. So, this whole time, Carrie's had to put up with him being the old, you know, oldest brother, but getting no respect, and younger brother being the whole golden boy, you know. And um, Carrie had problems. A year later. Um, he disclosed that his uncle um, had molested him oh, as a wow. kid. Yeah, which was his dad's father, Uncle Uncle Joe, or Jesse, Uncle Jesse. Um, six months later, uh, Carrie comes home and found out that Jesse, or no, Carrie was told to go to Jesse's house to pick something up. He goes to his uncle's house and finds him shot to death with a 12-gauge shotgun on the floor. Wow. Yeah. To this day, that case has never been solved. Kind of have an idea who it may be. 
So, <laughs> Kerry was a little scarred by that. In 1991, he was busted for marijuana possession and methamphetamines. He thus then went to a psychiatric ward because he tried to commit suicide. This is Steven's brother? Yeah, this older is Older brother. Right? The oldest brother, Kerry. Okay. So, Kerry's still dealing with all kinds of stuff. And, uh, he, you know, he tried to commit suicide in 91 and 97. Dang. As he tries to go to rehab again, he finds a job, you know, because he loved Yosemite National Park. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I got I to gotta find something. He was good at doing maintenance work. So he got a job up there at the Cedar Cedar Lodge up in, in uh, Yosemite. Mm-hmm. So here's where our story takes another turn. Get, really? 42-year-old. Carol Sundlin or Car- Carolyn, Carol Sundlin, or I forget how to spell her name or say her name, and her 15-year-old daughter, Judy, had their uh, friend from Argentina, 16-year-old, uh, who came in. She was a foreign exchange student. She mm-hmm. came in. They were showing her sights and, and sounds of America and driving up and down the coast. And uh, one of their final stops was in Yosemite. They were from Arizona. And they were just going to spend the night up there, check out the trees, and come back down the next day. And the, the father was going to meet them in Arizona. They were going to fly out. I'm sorry. They had a rental car. And so they were up at the lodge and whatnot. And the lodge was kind of off-season. Carrie was a maintenance worker at the lodge. And he was knocking on doors and just checking to see, you know, who was there. He knocked on the door. She answered, the mom. And he goes, hey, uh... I was told that there's a leak going on around these around the cabins and I need to check your bathroom to make sure you don't have the problem. She quickly says no. And then he says, well, you know, the manager told me to. And he goes, we can move you into another room. It's no big deal. And, you know, just, I just got to check in and see if everything's OK. So she looks at him. She's like, all right, come on in. And she's a little weary because she has those two daughters. He goes in there, and it looks like he's he's on the up and up. He's checking the bathroom, checking behind the toilet. And then he comes out with a gun. And he proceeds to tie all three of them up, duct tape-wise. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. So, go ahead. I was just going to say, I having two daughters or two little girls, mm-hmm. you're out in the cabin. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have opened the door. Her first instant was she right. Stuck with it. She should have stuck with it. She should have stuck with it. Yeah. Dang, man. Um, she just gone with her first instant. Yeah, for real. And said, nope. Yeah. So automatically, he takes both girls after their duct tape up, hands and feet, takes them to the bedroom uh, of the cabin, then takes the, the wife or the mom to the bedroom or, or to, to the uh, bed in the living room and proceeds to strangle her to death. Wow. In five minutes. Took five minutes to strangle her, dude. This is from his account later on. So, And this is Corey, right? This is Carrie. Carrie, yeah, Carrie. yeah. So he strangles <clears throat> he strangles a five-year-old to death. Or five-year-old, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I went there. The 42-year-old. <laughs> the mother. Yeah, the mother to death. And then um, proceeds, because again, the lodge is kind of empty. So he's able to just walk outside with her and put her in the trunk of the rent-a-car. Mm. And no one saw anything. He goes back in, grabs both girls, puts them on the bed, and tries to, you know, cuts their clothes to where he can have sex with them to where they're still bound up. And um, he has ED problems. He can't get it up. Mm. So he blames them. Of course, it's their fault, right? Mm. They're, they're tied up. So he tries, again, doing things as far as telling them to do things to each other to get him aroused. It's not working. And the one 
girl, the foreign exchange student, is freaking out. Like, she's crying a lot to the point where he slaps her and he tells her, shut up. And she just won't. Because obviously, dude. Yeah. A, you know, yeah. And he's got a knife, yeah. too, with him and everything. And they don't know where the mom's at. They have no idea. He takes that girl to the bathroom and proceeds to uh, strangle her to death. Dang. So he kills the, the 15-year-old. Dang, man. Then um, he walks her, I guess, from what they said, they walks her from the bathroom to the car, puts her in the car with the mom, you know, and I guess the daughter didn't see. I don't know if he had blindfolded her or something, but she had no idea. Mm -hmm. So then that's when he finally can get it up and he proceeds to rape and molest her. Wow. And then he decides, you know what? Uh, I got to get out of here. So he tapes her back up, puts her in the back seat of the car and goes in there and then sees it. You know, there's signs of a struggle in here. I've got to fix things. So he manipulates the crime scene, cleans the whole damn place and to where there's no, where it looks fine. He even packs their stuff in wow. bags. Wow. Yeah. To make it look like, oh, they just went out for the day, you know, or they're going to come back he for the really stuff. put it in his mind. And said, Listen. Wow. Yeah. So he takes off. And in the car, they go for a long drive. And they're in the. And the, she's still alive. She's still alive. Taped up. Taped up. So, he cuts her binding or the tape off of her mouth so he could talk with her. And to her credit, as he was, as he would later on tell, she talked to him in a calm voice, and she was obviously in survival mode, and yeah, she yeah, was yeah. trying to she like trying to do what she can do. She's just survive. complying. That's all. She was trying to be his friend, and um, they talked a lot. He's he started to like have like you know start thinking oh man you know this girl's this and this girl's that nice whatever and it started playing on his feelings so he started to talk to her more he loosened her up a little bit so he took her out to this lookout on a, on one of the hills on one of the roads takes her out there and um, again she's asking where her mom is but not in a like freaked out way to freak him out and uh, he's like oh they're fine. You know, like, you're just with me. It's just me and you. And then so they're out there, and he proceeds to, again, assault her. And she tries to, she she plays it cool to where she's unhooked from everything. And she tries to make a break for it, and then that's when he realizes, I got to finish this. So he grabs her, takes her, and he slits her throat. Oh, and, damn. And he leaves her right by the tree. On, uh, and then he just covers her a little bit with brush. To bleed to death. Yeah, to bleed to death. And so, he, so he just leaves her there. <clears throat> so he, he actually hitches a ride back into town. He hitches a ride. Gets back into town, starts taking care of stuff where his house is, and he's like, wait a minute, I still left the car out there. I still left the bodies out there. So he gets out there. He gets a ride out there. Finds the car still untouched. He's like, I got to get rid of some of this evidence. So he proceeds to torch the car with the bodies in it. Doesn't go back to the, the young Julie by the tree because she's like ways away from the car. Yeah, yeah. But he burns that car. And then when it's he stays there till it actually burns itself out. And then on the charcoal part of the, the trunk, when you lift it, um, you know how it's, it's burning, you know, the ash marks. Mm -hmm. He writes, we had fun with these. Wow. And so he, he tried to throw them off, the, the police, because he knew the police would find the bodies. The bodies, yeah. But he put we, yeah. making it like, okay, it's multiple people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So it's not, it's not for another uh, couple days. The father starts to get worried. He's like, I haven't heard from my family. I haven't heard. You know, he's in Arizona. He's wondering where his wife and his kid and the foreign exchange student is. He calls the police. The police are searching. They do a thorough search. They actually interview Carrie because they knew he was on. On uh, they, there was three other maintenance workers at that lodge. Mm-hmm. They interview Carrie and they're like, "Oh, this guy seems like a stand-up guy." And then they go into his past and they're like, "Oh, but he couldn't be capable of anything like this. His brother was Stephen. Yeah, you know, Stephen died a hero. You know, like he went through a lot. You know, Carrie, come on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scribble him off the list right now. <laughs> Jeez. You know, it's crazy how people do that, man. Guilty about like who you're associated with or who you know. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. So he gets knocked off the list. Carrie's like, all right, I'm good. And basically the, the, the police finally, uh, you know, the families come up there. Even the one from the foreign exchange student, her family comes up into, you know, gets there just to find out just in time that they found the bodies. And through dental records, a few days later, they realize it's the... The, the, the mom and the, and the wow. foreign exchange student. Now, they're still looking for Julie at this point. They do find the, the wa- a wallet with missing cards. And remember, remember, Carrie was into meth. They find a couple meth heads with, in, in a local town trying to use one of her, the mom's cards. And that they, were, they said they found those cards. Or that someone had given it to them. They didn't, their stories weren't straight. And so... As they were interviewing both these guys, one guy actually admitted, hey, you know, I made those murders, one of the meth heads. Stupid. And they were like, you did now, huh? And so they were, and you know how police are, they're not going to give you all the information because they know people do this stuff. Mm-hmm. The guy literally was off on several key aspects of the murders, but they still took his word for it with no physical evidence. Wow. So they jailed both of them. The other guy's like, hey, it wasn't me, man. All I did was get a card, you know? And they're like, he's stupid. And then they're all like, no, he's put you there and you're there and blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm like, wow, okay. So. Wow. The, what year? Uh, this, this is the 90s, right? Yeah, this is. Uh, this 97, is, you said? This is, actually, no, I, I forgot to say this was 99. This is two oh, years wow. after. So this is 1999. All right. So no physical evidence, no DNA. A letter comes in <clears throat> at the same time when they're... Because what I forgot to mention was before they get these guys, a letter comes in saying, we had fun with this one. And if you're looking for the other body, it was a map of where the other girl was. So the police investigated that, found the girl, and then that's when they found the credit cards, the information that got those two guys. So it was a triple homicide now. They got both those guys. One can, you know, obviously before it goes to jail, though... Uh, Five months later, these guys are still in jail. Still, wow. Still in jail. Their court date's coming up. The police already are like, well, case closed, Johnson. You know, you know, we, we, got, <laughs> we, we got the two guys. That's, that's all there is. Hey, Johnson. Yeah, right? yeah. It's just Johnson. <laughs> so this one girl, I don't have her last name. Um, what is it here? Um, Joey. She's 26 years old. She works at the at one of the resorts up there too. She's staying at the lodge. She actually has an appointment to go hang out with her friends. They were either going to play tennis or they're going to go hiking or something, right? Mm-hmm. So she um she she's locking up her cabin. As soon as she turns around to get to, into her car, here comes good old Carrie, and Carrie comes up to her and says, "Hey, I'm looking for Bigfoot. I heard Bigfoot roams these areas up there. So likely he's probably high at this point, right?" Mm-hmm. And um, she goes, I don't know nothing about Bigfoot. She tries to run. He tackles her. Mm. 
she try he tries to like you know tie her up she's fighting and fighting she's fighting for her life kicking him punching him clawing him everything biting him he he's getting frustrated because he can't subdue her you know mm-hmm. he overwhelms her body ways but she she's fighting for yeah, her yeah, life yeah, yeah finally you know he just cuts right to the chase literally and says screw this and he slits her throat dang but he's not done there he drags her about 80 yards past the lodging area and decapitates her. Get, whoa. Get way Thro- further. Yeah, whoa. He, he throws her body wow. into the river. So he couldn't get none, so he just said, screw it. Yeah, this. he said, screw it. I'm done with this. You know, Fought me too much. You're too much to handle. That's it. Wow. So right away, too, her friends, you know. Oh, this guy's nuts. Yeah. So later, the, the friends are like, hey, you know, we haven't seen Joey can you can you do a wellness check at her place? They go to her place, but see, this is where Carrie didn't messed up. He didn't fix the crime scene this time. They saw an obvious sign of struggle: broken eyeglasses that she had, uh, her you know stuff from her purse was on the ground, mm-hmm. drag marks, and there was a and there was tire tracks. Mm. So, so right away, the cops take pictures of the tire tracks. And here's where the good detectives start to come in because they're like, you know, we're not used to having murders like this, and didn't we have something like this about almost? six months ago you know this this happened famous murders up in here he's like what if we got the wrong guy so they start questioning things and then one cop's like you know what um let's uh let's interview some of these people so but then they're carrie messed up too because people saw him in the area that day the other workers that were originally questioned they didn't see them in the area carrie was seen in the area and then one witness came forward and said i saw a blue car with a white stripe on the side race away and then they started looking to see who had blue cars with a white stripe on the side. Carrie. Wow. And then when they found the body later on the next day, the body was, they found the headless body. It washed up about a hundred more yards down the, the river because they hadn't looked in the river. They looked in the mm. adjacent area. And the head was 80 yards from that. Wow. Yo, this guy's That's... sick, man. Yeah. This dude was sick. Yeah. Some problems. <clears throat> so, so, uh, the police then track him down. They they bring him in for questioning. While they're doing that, they had taken a plaster mold. What they do with the other uh, the other two that they? Well, the other two are still in jail. They're still in jail. They still got to prove it. Got it. Know? Got it. So they question him, but they don't have enough to hold him. He's mm-hmm. still holding to his story. Like I don't know what you guys are talking about. They have to wait to take a plaster mold of the tire tracks at the scene, and then compare those with his car. Now Carrie knows they got his. They got him. He's like, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm taking off. He leaves in the middle of the night. He goes to this area where he thought they would never see him, which was a nudist colony. Mm-hmm. So he goes to a nudist colony because, you know, there's no Wi-Fi. There's no nothing like that. <laughs> These people are living off the ground. You know, he goes to this, like, remote area in wine country, right? He's just mm-hmm. in a nudist colony. And um, But one of the girls on the way in or whatever had saw a picture of him on t- television because at this point they know. They know. This they know carries, is. Yeah. They, they, it came through. It came through, them. yeah. And so she comes to the nudist colony expecting just to be her nudist self. And she sees him and she calls the police right away like, holy crap, he's here. And the cops, the next hour or so, come up there in full gear and and guns drawn. And he just like he just gets on his knees, puts his hands up. And he's like, he got me. And so they arrest him. On the way to the police station, Carrie admits to the murder and admits to the other three as well. So exonerating the two knuckleheads in jail. They just like let them go. They just let them go. <laughs> they just let them go. Here's your here's your meth. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Take your meth and go. You smoke this and then you're gone, right? <laughs> um, so, Dang. yeah, dude. So basically, at this time, that's uh, that's '99. Um, at the same time, Parnell. Remember good old Parnell, the Reverend. Yeah, Reverend Parnell. Oh, Reverend Parnell. Reverend oh, Parnell. Back to him, he's still man. alive, right? Yeah, he's still alive, still kicking. Don't tell me. He um. He tries to recruit another kid. Don't tell me. Through a female friend this time. And at first she's like, I don't know, dude, you're tripping. You know, maybe you're old. You know, like, I'm not going to help you get another boy. And, well, and he's, again, he's not mentioning what he wants to do with a little boy. So he's adamant now. And he's telling the woman, look, I really need your help. Because the boy will never suspect it if a, you know, woman of your age comes up and asks. And, you know, it's a grandmother style you can help me out, blah, blah, I'll offer so you money. he's telling the female, I need you to help me get another boy to do basically the same thing. Basically the same thing, yes. Wow. He didn't learn the first time. Yeah, he didn't learn the first time. And not only that, why would a woman, anyone, even say yes to it? Yeah, well, and this is uh, in 2001. So in 2001, and this is before Stainer's, because Stainer gets, you know, uh, what do you call it? Obviously in jail he's got to wait his sentence and um so while that's going on parnell's over here doing his thing the, she tells the cops the cops know he has a record so obviously he's a sex offender but when they search his computer they find nothing but child porn mm. now now i understand child porn is horrific and i understand it it deserves crime and punishment correct mm-hmm now, it's one thing to look at it, yes, and it's just as detestable, but it's another thing to actually go go and act upon it and do something to it. And I felt he got away with so much before that laws had changed, time had passed, people are smarter, the, the jail system's more on it with that kind of thing. They gave him 25 years to life Dang. because of the child porn and because of the attempt on kidnapping another child dang so he got his comeuppance but when you think about it good old parnell would only live to 2008 so he would serve only seven more years in prison he died in prison he died in prison and died of old age died Natural of causes died of old age yeah so there was no underlining condition nothing like he died in his 70s so a piece of you know what like that lived on wow a kid like steven died young you know, he destroyed a lot of he lives. Wasn't even, lives. Yeah, wasn't even thirty. Yeah, and died. Let's get back to Carrie. Carrie, there's now. more. There's more now. So in 2002, okay, um, he pleaded no, not guilty by rule, um, by reason of insanity. His lawyers claimed the Stainer family had had a history of sexual abuse. That's when they brought out the his uncle Jesse had molested him. The you know, the murder of Jesse, which still unsolved to this day because shotgun shells not regular bullets and shotgun shells are hard to mm -hmm. there was no physical there was no handprints no nothing so to this day there's still a thing in people's minds that feel that Carrie was responsible for oh that. yeah and I then, think so too and then then to top this off when they asked him where did all this murder and stuff set come from he stated since he was seven he wanted to do physical harm to somebody he wanted to kill a woman <laughs> that was Carrie <laughs> wow. Yeah. Whoa. Do you think it's because he was living in a strict household? 
Because um, you know how they say when you live in a strict household, you become rebellious because you kind of get a taste. You lash out. Yeah, you kind of get a taste of it. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. I had to do a little bit. It could have been. And it could have just been everything going on with the media attention that his brother got when he returned and all the stuff that he got when he was gone. Mm. So, I mean, all that had to play like a huge role. And then the family, he would later say his family never paid attention to him. His family always, it was always Steven, Steven, Steven. Mm. They didn't care about Carrie's accomplishments. That could do it too. Carrie was a a really good um, artist, drew a lot of things, but never got any praise for it. Never got any praise for anything. He would later say also, um, here's, here's a sick thing. He said it was a mental illness, right? So when the police were asking him for more of the confession, more of the things, mm-hmm. he actually request, He said, okay, I'll give you more information. I'll give you more of this and that if you give me some child pornography. The cops were like, Carrie? Oh, yeah, Carrie. Told, told the detectives. What? Cops were like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Like, yeah, we're like, let, let's go to our child porn file and give yeah. you what we got. So let's like, go get it from the reverend. Let's, let's go get it from the <laughs> yeah, evidence locker. Yeah, I'm sure Parnell's got plenty of that stuff. <laughs> get him, Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. So he actually had the gall to ask for that. And he and, was serious, too. He huh? was serious. Wow. And uh, so they, they also would charge him for, uh, you know, pedophilia. And then um, the, he said that he had mild autism, whatever. So he went up for first-degree murder in, in two, uh, August 27, 2002. Uh, in the... Uh, he was found guilty on all charges, and uh, he was given the death penalty. And, I bet. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> thanks to our governor, which we were talking about oh. earlier, Gavin oh. Newsom, because this was a California murder, he was scheduled for execution, uh, I believe, this year. Really? And he is now a stay of execution because the governor feels, in his mind, that wow. it is unjust and is uh, not uh, kosher. Wow. It's not, now it's I can, not humane. Yeah, now yeah. I can get it if it was like the electric chair or the the guillotine mm-hmm. or the hanging and stuff. Okay, that might be a little bit it's like little inhumane. Extreme. But if it's just the lethal injection, slowly you die in minutes. Yeah, you die. Let's just put it to you this way: you die faster than what it took for your victims to die. Yeah, you know. And 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 whenever people go to one of these executions by lethal injection, they always say. Damn, that guy looked peaceful. He died a lot easier than what my victim, my daughter, my son went yeah. through. Yep. Because basically all it does is just makes your heart stop. It just makes your heart stop. When they put you to sleep. You, you just know. can't breathe no more. That's can't. it. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. And they give you so many of the concoctions because I think there's six drugs in the one that it'll knock you out fast. So their whole thing is just put them to death fast. But Governor Newsom put a moratorium to those to where there's no more executions. So this piece of trash is still alive. And, um, you know, he's still awaiting his judgment, but he right now he's 58 years old and he's still in, in prison wow. as, as we speak. <clears throat> and that's not the end of the story. Yeah, no way. No way. <laughs> We're already thinking like, oh, that's it. Seriously? <laughs> yeah, seriously. There's more? There's one more bow tie on this. Uh, actually, two more bow ties. Dang, it's a good story. So, you know, the, the mother and father, they had to endure... The most out of anything, because no matter what kind of parents they were, nobody deserves the crap that they went yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. They weren't mm-hmm. the type that molested their kids. They weren't the type that beat their kids. Back then, it was kosher to spank your child, you know. And and from all indications, all records, publicly and non-publicly, they were compared to great as great parents, strict mm-hmm. but good parents. Mm-hmm. Imagine all their life and their later life. The fact that, you know, the only thing that the father said after all this went down was, 
I'm glad Stephen didn't get to see this part of what happened, this part of the story. This later part. Because Stephen died before Carrie went on his rampage. But think of what they saw. Think of what his sister saw. Dang. You know what I mean? Like, like of all the things, your family just, I mean, you go from, you have good versus evil. You know what I mean? You had one kid that was lauded as a hero, and the other kid is just Satan's helper. You know what I mean? Like, like, and they died in the early 2000s. So they saw all this go down. Now, one, now another bow tie, the final part of this story I'll, I'll bring up, which is a sad part as well. Uh, Timothy, the five-year-old, would grow up, and he would actually be one of the pallbearers at Stephen's funeral. You know, oh, dang. Yeah, yeah, walking him out. And he grew up, got married, went to college, became a sheriff up in Northern California. Okay. Mm-hmm. And was a highly respected sheriff. Till 2010. He would die overnight of a pulmonary embolism. I think I said that right. Where basically a random blood clot in your heart valve. Dang. Stopped his heart and he died. So, yo, that's whack. Yeah. So basically, if you think about it, everyone from that, everything that was and, involved, yeah, the Reverend uh, Stephen and Timothy, they're all dead. Yeah, and the parents, and the parents, the parents are dead. Yeah, the the two daughters are still there, but they're in like they stay out of the public, basically. Wow. Because of what it did to the family and then mm-hmm. everything, just like because you go from like everyone feeling sympathy for the family to then knowing who that. The older brothers and then everyone's looking down on him like how could you raise raise such a monster is steven's kids still alive? steven's kids are still alive the wife was remarried um his kids i think are in their 20s we'll see i don't know if they were in the 80s yeah they're about your guys age about like 30s 30 yeah early 30s early maybe 30s probably yeah. ran into them yeah and then um the the mom is uh still advocating for victims and things like that She's carrying on the work. Carrying yeah. on. And then on the Timothy, there's a, uh, in front of the police station, I forget which uh, county he was in, uh, they have a memorial to him and his story. And he's lauded as one of the best sheriff's officers that they had. He was a really good guy. He had a family as well when he Dang. passed. So, yeah. That, and that's the Stainer story, Stainer Brothers story. You know wow. what? This story right here was the deepest one because it was the longest one. Yeah. And it had so many so many twists and turns to it where it was just like, yo, like, dang, man. Like, first of all, the reverend, man. Yeah. Posing as the reverend. Yeah. Cloning as the reverend. Yo, he. Somebody got to snip his stuff, man. <laughs> like like that. That's how badly you, you feel for someone to do that. Like take a seven year old, brainwash him to the point where basically that, that's your sex slave, mm-hmm. a little boy. And then you try to get another one. Yeah. And then you go to jail and you didn't learn your lesson. You get out on good behavior, which he shouldn't have got. Mm-hmm. And then you try to do it again. Yeah. Like he should have got his stuff snipped. And you think about it, too. He went back into jail in 2001. There's a gap there of about, let's see, six years after 80, 86. You think he done some? There was a gap of about 15 years. You There's think he, No you, doubt. Those guys don't stop. Those guys don't stop. It's, so, there, it's already a force to have. Yeah. So if he didn't grab a kid to stay with him and kidnap him, he because apparently, he, as we know, as we know, he he didn't murder anybody. But there's I, I would bet my life on it that he touched on other kids. He had child. He was in sort of... There was rumors that he was in a child porn um, ring of guys. Mm. So he was still connected to that. So, I mean, the, again, the police did not do their job, nor 
can they? Because when you think about all the things they have to, to go after, they can't keep tabs on everybody. But someone should have kept a tab on this dude. Seriously. Yeah. And like you said, if they would have castrated him, that would have been perfect. You know, and, and his whatever. He can't get his jollies. Yeah, and it sucked for Carrie. Uh, you know, what mm-hmm. happened to him, you know. Carrie was dealt a bad hand, too. Definitely. But that's still no excuse. Yeah, there's no excuse. There's yeah. definitely no excuse for what to he go, did. To do that. Yeah. yeah and then just, for Steven. Yeah, he just snapped. I mean, he had, he said in um, some other stuff I didn't get to was he said he had these sexual thoughts and these murderous thoughts since the age of seven. Well, do you think that's when he got molested? It could have been. And, and and back then, again, so many kids were getting molested back then. Yeah. And so many kids, it wasn't taught to your children, hey, watch out for uncle so-and-so or watch out for this guy or watch out for that guy because... I know? never understood, like, how do you get your rocks off touching a little kid, a little boy, a little girl? Like, I, I never understood how... There's something has a snap inside their head. Some, something has to go wrong. Yeah, man, because, like, the moment someone figures out the better I think people will be because I don't think, I don't think there is a, a answer for that. Like the no, like like, cause you know how they say you know people are, I don't know they say people are born gay mm-hmm. or they say that you know they they know it they mm-hmm. just know it, like molesters child molesters mm-hmm. do are they born that way or does something click in their head or were they molested and therefore they say well I was done this let me do it upon others like, yeah there I think there is something to that. But I don't know the percentage because there are there have been people that are molested and then their biggest thought if, if they get those thoughts in their head they're like no I don't want to bring the pain that I had onto someone else yeah and they can actually stop themselves mm-hmm. others can't like you said maybe he was molested when he was a child and that's all he knew because I can tell you from one of our other shows we talked about when you're in a you're a you know semi adult or whenever you have your first sexual experience. Usually that's something you repeat. Repeat, yeah. That's Even true. though it may can't, not be like can't you, get enough of that. Yeah, yeah. because it, that becomes something that you like. So maybe something that is you know it's wrong, but someone does it to you, you can't fight the urge yeah. not to keep to repeat it. Yeah, it's like well, drugs. You get that first high off, let's say coke. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the first. That's the thing you, you want to keep doing. You want to get to like you rather okay, weed is cool, but give me some coke. You know. You, you, that is a good point. That is a good point. I, I think we are creatures of habit, and w- no matter how bad or how good the habit is, and we just tend to stick with it, and maybe this is part of it. Yeah. Well, that was a de- very deep story. Very. You know, a lot of tragedies for, well, one in particular, but mm-hmm. a lot of tragedies that could uh, was prevented by that hero, Stephen. But, he had but a tragic I, end. And yeah. I encourage you guys to look up, or, or if you guys are listening, to look up um, Steven Stainer's story, man. Or even watch, you can, if you have a fire stick or whatever, you can Google the movie, the made for TV movie. The made for TV movie is, for an 80s movie, is kind of cringeworthy. Really? Because, yeah, because they don't, they don't dance around what happened to them. Mm. They, put just, they, do every, they get everything just, in there. Let's just put it to you this way. I remember that movie without having to watch it now for this research because of one part in particular in that movie that got me scared to death as a kid because they actually show the dude Parnell taking him into the room, the other guy sitting on the couch kind of just like listening in or watching TV at the same time and you could hear him say no 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 like like just his like 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 whimpers and his and his like his scared and you could hear it in his voice. I remembered that to this day before I even did this the story. Dang. Because that part 
back then they didn't show stuff like that on television. It freaked yeah. you out. Yeah, it freaked me out. And that was on ABC Seven. That wasn't like a freaking like oh TBS or it's a deep dive on HBO or on Sundance. Or the Lifetime. Lifetime. Lifetime movies. Yeah, this was an ABC made-for-TV movie primetime type deal. That That's scared the crap out of me. And then the girls too that got killed, you know. Yeah, yeah. they were deserved that. They were snuffed out. That poor family in Argentina, foreign exchange student, the poor father in Arizona, he lost his wife and his daughter. I mean, there's just, I mean, look, all these cases. There's gonna be, hey, there's no winners. Yeah, there's really, there's really no, no, win- there's, no winners. There's no winner whatsoever. I mean, the Stephen part was good to, for him to save the yeah. little boy, but at the end of the day, he met a tragic it, end. It, he also had some head trauma. Didn't you mention he yeah. almost wanted to commit suicide? Yeah, like yeah. It, it didn't. It, it had, he had he didn't have a normal life. Yeah. He tried to have one because if you yeah. look at his pictures, you know, his wife is beautiful. It's two, two little blonde kids. I mean, he, he tried to move on, but he had his inner demons with his smoking. Mm-hmm. He had his inner demons with his drinking. Um, he could, just couldn't shake things. And then, and then you think, okay, maybe there's one bright spot. Timothy moves on, becomes a sheriff, has, starts a family, well-respected in the community. And you're thinking he's going to move on and live his life and, and, and be the one thing you could pull from mm-hmm. this. And he dies. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Wow. Sorry to bring you guys down. Uh, yeah, that was, like, this, was, uh, this was deep. This was deep. I ain't going to lie. This was deep. You yeah, know, yeah. So, well... Is that the end of the story, Todd? That's it. <laughs> no more, no one more bow tie. No, 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 no more, more bow ties. No bow ties. I'm done with them. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was the longest story we've done. That was actually no. That was actually pretty good. That was pretty good, man. I get mm-hmm. give me props, Thanks, man. man. Thank you, Renee. That was very good. That was good. But any final thoughts, guys? Like you said, there was no winners in this one. No winners. So this one really sucks. You you kind of want to feel happy for somebody, but you know. You really couldn't. You couldn't really. I guess Steven, you know, but at the end, he still he had tried. his demons. He tried, know. but couldn't yeah. get away. We couldn't shake it. Maybe his wife, you know, maybe she's still holding on to the... the, the Good point. Yeah. Good so. point. That's probably the only thing you could pull out of this one. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's been another episode of the Grinding True Crime podcast with your narrator, Todd Fox, <laughs> and your host, Maddie Matt, along with Big Renee. So if you guys like what you hear today, you can uh, follow us on our grind on I'm sorry, on our podcast, <laughs> on our Podbeam page. Just look us up under the True Crime Grinding True Crime Podcast. And you can find us on Spotify as well. Look us up on our website, www.thegrindspodcast.com to look for some uh, materials as well on there. So for next time, this is the Grinding True Crime Podcast with Maddie Matt signing off. Todd Fox. And, and Big Renee. Have a good one, guys. Peace.